Good morning. This is June 25th, 2020. And um, I feel compelled to talk about wearing masks this morning, or rather those who don't wear masks. And uh, I'll, I'll warn you in advance, I'm going to do a little venting. Um, the uh, people who refuse to wear masks when they're close to others. Okay, when you're outside and <clears throat> more than six feet from people, fine. But uh, it's it, 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 you'd have to be either a fool or just plain egocentric not to do this, not to wear max, masks when you're close to people. And uh, this this particular topic was prompted by uh, an article that someone sent me. <clears throat> it's from a magazine called Literary Hub, uh, which I can't claim I've ever read before. This is uh, May 29th of this year. And the title of the article is Masculinity as Radical Selfishness. And it's by a Rebecca Solnit. Um, the as she as it says the maskless men of the pandemic. Well, we know it's not just men, but uh, let me read from this. She begins. I grew up with the old axiom: my right to swing my arm ends where your nose begins which is about balancing personal freedom with the rights of others and one's own obligation to watch out for those rights. <clears throat> the maliciously gendered rhetoric of the National Rifle Association, the incels and pickup artist subcultures, Trumpism, and a lot else have proposed in recent years that actually their right to swing their arms doesn't end and my nose and your nose are not their problem or are just in the way and need to move. Wearing masks, it turns out, is not manly, when the definition of manly is not having to do fuck all out of concern for others. She continues, There are a lot of other things that turn out not to be manly, including caring about climate change and environmental problems. Of course, she's speaking facetiously caring about climate change, environmental problems, and even, according to some studies, recycling, and other studies, hand-washing. Taking care of things is not manly. Four of the worst-hit countries in this pandemic are also afflicted with heads of state preoccupied with meeting the terms of machismo. Bolsonaro, that's the uh, president of Brazil, Putin, Boris Johnson, and Trump. Meeting the terms of machismo in ways that conflict with recognizing the gravity of the COVID-19 crisis and responding adequately. This is a definition of masculinity as radical selfishness. And just as it's taken a huge toll on American lives, by demanding and utilizing deregulation of access to semi-automatic weapons 
and other implements of mass death, so it's taken a huge toll by insisting that we don't have to respond to the pandemic because the we that is not responding imagines itself as invulnerable and full of unlimited arm-swinging rights. Uh, Let me just go back uh, this uh, phrase, radical. The definition of masculinity is radical selfishness. There's no there's no way to spin that other than radical selfishness, and it's not just uh, the the greater likelihood that will infect others by not wearing masks or washing hands, uh, but also the the um, carelessness, the not caring about the healthcare professionals who may have to care for us if we get if we get sick ourselves even those who say well you know it's just it's just a i believe it's just like the flu nothing nothing more than that okay uh but you you take the chance of landing in the hospital where you're you're causing further strain on the healthcare system. You're putting uh, at risk the health of these bodhisattvas who are caring for you. So it's just another layer of selfishness. And then just <clears throat> uh, cutting to. Uh, uh, just skipping a couple of parag- a couple of sentences. In the USA, I'm, I get the sense that this author, uh, Rebelnik, Rebecca Solnit, is from England. In the USA, unlimited arm swinging peaks at an intersection between whiteness and maleness, with plenty of white women on board who seem to believe that a white lady's job is to protect white men's arm swinging often with a selfless disregard for their own noses. <laughs> that seems to be a little jab at uh, domestic abuse at the hands of men. It all reached a peak with the white men with guns in the Michigan legislature a few weeks ago. The guns and the lack of masks and the belligerence against medically important regulation, all forms of fist-swinging united at last. Yeah, I, I bet a lot of you listening to this saw those uh, photos of these clowns all um, bristling with, with firearms and swaggering into the Michigan State Legislature, um, demanding that uh, restrictions be li- uh, lifted by the governor. Um, there's also... In this uh, this careless swaggering carelessness about masks, uh, there is this utter profound ignorance of the interdependence of all beings, even just all human beings. This denial or ignorance. Uh, that every everything counts, everything everyone does counts, it affects everyone else. She uh, continues here. Uh, 
libertarianish conservatives and the hyper-masculine deny to justify an every-man-for-himself ethos. And as it turns out, radical self-reliance ends where social withdrawal actually begins to be a form of care for others in this pandemic. Thus, the white men who have been telling us all along that they are rugged commandos of self-sufficiency, who could live alone in the post-apocalyptic woods, off what they could hunt with their bare hands, suddenly claim they need help right away with their hair. Reference to insistence that uh, they be able to uh, access barbershops. At the other end of the spectrum are women making masks so that vulnerable populations and frontline workers have a better chance of surviving this thing. Caregiving has been gendered as feminine, and so has sewing, and though I have seen men making masks, I have seen a lot more women doing this. Many of them I've kept tabs on sewing steadily day after day, making hundreds of cloth masks by hand. Uh, I saw something about a a, a girl, uh, Eagle, uh, Eagle Scout, uh, who's doing that as part of one of her many projects uh, um, that required to become an Eagle Scout. <clears throat> the mostly women of color anti-sewing squad group, that's uh, capitalized, it's, it's a real squad of women, anti-sewing, A-A-U-N-T-I-E, as in uncle, uh, anti-sewing squad group, sewed 5,000 masks for native populations in a week earlier this month. This is the extreme antithesis of too manly to wear a mask syndrome. It's not just caring enough to do the real... It's not just caring enough to do the no real work of wearing a mask, wearing a mask, so that's obviously not a burden, wearing a mask... It's caring enough to do the huge work of trying to see that everyone has a mask. And so all over America are mostly women, solo, in repurposed quilting groups, in newly formed organizations, sewing for strangers. It's nurturance work and protective work. Mega-masculinity only likes the idea of protecting if it's in the Charles Bronson, Clint Eastwood mode of protecting something by blowing something else away. All right. This uh, article just prompted me to think, uh, not for the first time at all, about what masculine and feminine really means. And I know that... uh, Many of you who are hearing this have uh, reflected on this and really done your own um, work in coming to terms with this in some way or another. Uh, And what I've come to understand through my long Zen career is that it's not something we really have to work on as a project 
if we are sitting every day. Let me let me explain. Zen practice, generally speaking, I mean, <clears throat> not just with gender identification, uh, Zen practice is a form of losing. We're 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 winnowing away what is not inherent to our essential nature. In in terms of gender baggage or other gender uh, gender issues, uh, it's something that happens on its own. If we're if we're sitting, if we're maintaining a a, a daily sitting practice, and especially if it's uh, supplemented by the occasional sashin, it's something that happens on its own. Uh, it, it ceases to be such a big issue about where we fall on the gender continuum. Now, granted, if it's, if it's a problem for us, if it is, if it is f- the forefront of our mind, then there's that stage of grappling with it, consciously grappling with it, in order to get beyond it. But in either way, whether it's an issue for us or not, what happens on its own, over time, not overnight, but over time, is that we come to occupy the place on the gender identification continuum that is most authentic to us. We get beyond notions of masculinity and femininity. We, for, for men and women, but now in this context, for men, we, we uncover Little by little, we uncover those traits traditionally associated with the feminine. Compassion, tenderness. Zen Master Dogen reportedly once said, the purpose of Zen practice is to develop a tender heart. These Jokers who storm around with their firearms and refusing to wear masks or much less wash hands. Um, what are they, what are they compensating for? Is, is what I would wonder. You can only wonder what their upbringing was as children. I find myself wondering about their fathers. And how they were um, coerced into a certain way of thinking about masculinity. Now, for sure, uh, we have there. Are, there are natural. Uh, that is by nature. There is a range of of uh, on, on this continuum of masculine and feminine. There are. Men who were maybe born to be more uh, masculine in the traditional sense. Um, 
and women, you know, conversely, more feminine in the traditional sense. And there's no reason for them to to become something they're not. What I'm talking about is people, people of either sex, but right now I'm worked up about these men, uh, who are laboring under um, a, a, a kind of conditioning that is not who they really are. Zen practice is a practice of sloughing off. Usually, little by little, usually not suddenly, but little by little, we we lose what is not essential to us, both in terms of gender and all kinds of other ways. We 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 when i say we lose it's not something we need to do it it's it's done it is done it happens on its own it's the process of getting lighter there's no there's no person who has to uh, effect this it happens through practice you know the other the idea of a kind of uh, practice as sculpting isn't quite it because with sculpting there's a sculptor and there's nobody doing this we don't have to worry about it I remember when it dawned on me after a few years at the center that there were certain little features of Roshi Kaplow that uh, were what some would call uh, more of the feminine side. He, uh, he had very refined aesthetic sensibilities. Um, he had deep sympathy uh, for the plight of the underprivileged, the oppressed, and for animals. In other words, a, a natural protectiveness. Again, no reason that should be relegated to women, but traditionally, it's that's the sort of the general uh, idea. I came to see that, uh, oh, he also wants, uh, just, <laughs> this is neither here nor there, but I remember at some point we'd been together for, Roshi and I had been, been working together for about 10 years when he just calmly, matter-of-factly mentioned that uh, his brother is gay. Um, now, today, that would be a big yawn, but, for, but, but then, and especially for some of, someone of his generation, uh, I was taken aback uh, and delighted that he could so easily say it, because I never heard him say it in Taisho. Through Zen practice, uh, the yin and the yang, if you will, the feminine and the masculine, so-called, uh, they, they 
work their way into a more of a balance that suit that, that matches who we are biologically. I um I credit my good karma of having grown up in a in a house of six women, five sisters, uh, for having given me permission uh, to uh, honor uh, from early on. I think once I got through the um, nuttiness of of uh, late adolescence, where I could uh, feel comfortable uh, honoring this more sensitive uh, side of my nature. I remember my father once uh, confiding uh, to us the topic of hunting came up and uh, uh, no one in our household, well, <laughs> maybe my mother, but she never followed through with it. But uh, otherwise, uh, none of us had the faintest under wish to to go hunting my father said that as a uh, as a, a boy he had been out with a bb gun maybe with maybe with a couple buddies i don't know and had uh shot a bird off a off a branch uh with his bb gun and he went over and uh knelt down and saw this inert little bird body and he said he just wept and then never wanted to hunt again. So I had some 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 good influences, good in the sense of uh, not hypermasculinity. Then there's the story of uh, Zen Master Hakuin's teacher. I think it was Mujo. This is sometimes attributed to Hakuin himself, but it, other sources, more reliable sources, say it was his teacher who uh, was confronted with a newborn baby um, from the village. The, uh, the mother, the young mother, and her parents came to him. The, uh, the girl had falsely claimed that Hakuin that uh, Mujo was the father, and they thrust out this infant, newborn infant, and said, this is your doing. And uh, according to the story, <laughs> who knows for sure, according to the story, this Mujo took the baby, and according to the old records, he raised this, this infant for a year. Now, we can be pretty sure that he wasn't doing it all himself, or, or maybe any of it, who knows, but, but that he, he took it, he somehow, with the help of others probably, uh, nurtured this, this baby, and then, as the story goes, the girl came back, the, or all three of them, her and her parents came back in tears of remorse and said no. It wasn't Hakuin after all. Uh, the rest of the story is when they first bring him the baby, uh, his only response is, Asodiska, 
meaning, is that so? Neither denying nor confirming, just, is that so? And then, then when they come back and confess, uh, he says the same thing, just that. No, no, uh, I told you so, or anything, just a sodiska. Yes, so it is. Is that so? There, there is uh, in in Japan from my brief experience there of six months and uh, and my reading. Uh, you see both sides, the the yin and the yang. You see uh, what. Uh, one author from the 1950s, maybe, Ruth Benedict, she wrote a, a book called uh, The Sword and the Chrysanthemum. Uh, you see both sides, the uh, hyper-masculinity, the, the warrior culture that we know all too well from World War II, and uh, the other side, the, the appreciation of flower arranging and uh, tea, it's a, it's a quite a remarkable thing how these two kind of coexist, uh, and uh, I think from my my experience with the Zen teachers there, they kind of get fused. Um, the fierce uh, spirit that uh, traditionally is associated with the warrior culture, uh, which we of course know can be women as well as men, and then. Uh, the delicacy of feeling that is very much honored in Japan. Well, um, I think I uh, forgot about a meeting I had a few minutes ago, uh, judging by my uh, cell phone having just rung. So, but I'm I'm finished with what I wanted to say anyway today. So, uh, thanks for listening and putting up with me. And uh, until next time. Take care. Keep washing those hands. Wear the mask.